This Week on the Digital Desk Podcast. Boring. Punch it up, man. Make it you know, interesting. This makes me think it's so much better than the freaking hamburger. You know? Yeah! Like, you Fuck school. the hamburger. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Digital Desk Podcast. I'm Robin. I'm Katie. I, oh, I'm Patrick. Ah. We, we caught him off guard. You really did. I don't know my how we caught you off in... guard. We told you it was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, somehow planned. my mind wandered and then I had to say my name. So, oh. there you go. <laughs> and it's a fun episode again. It's a it fun is a fun episode. episode again. No more somberness. Yeah, Robin, we missed you. We did miss you. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, we're happy to have you here. We are missing now Liz. But yeah. Liz is um, missing because she has a boyfriend. And it's their anniversary. I mean, that's really the connector. It's not just because <laughs> she has a boyfriend. Yeah. I guess, yeah, she's allowed to have a love life. She's allowed to have a life outside of the podcast. Briefly. Mm-hmm. So she'll yes. be back for the next episode. Right. And on that yeah. note, what is our fun episode? What is this episode about? actually about? <gasps> Patrick and I have Katie. one brain, if you guys didn't know this yeah. already. <laughs> Holy. Well, today's episode is still fun in our eyes. It's all about exams. I know you're crying internally. Yikes. Hearing that word. But yeah. we are actually here to help you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. We are going to give you all of our tips, all of our tricks from both experience and like what you know, people have told us courses we've taken, things like that. Well, we know for sure that at least some of the folks listening to this podcast have either just started university or they're starting their second year, but it's their first year in person or, you know, just some, some, some of our audience is generally new to this whole university writing situation. And it, uh, I don't know about you guys, but my first year was certainly very daunting to do any sort of essay writing or exam preparation, anything like that. It was just a little intense. So, <laughs> this episode. completely agree. I did not know I was a terrible essay writer until I got to university. Oh, holy cow! <laughs> they transformed me. Like I want to go back to high school and just like make a formal apology to all my teachers. Like, mm. <laughs> university transformed my writing, and it was for the best. But also, um, you kind of—it's almost if you don't do the language course first, it's almost trial by fire. Like, your teachers will rip your paper to shred and be like, this is how it's supposed to be done. Yeah. It hurts, but you need it. <laughs> you really do. So don't get, don't take it personally when you get that first essay back and the teacher's like, oh, my, or the prof's like, oh my God, what did you, why'd you do that? You need it, probably. Oh, yeah. Or at least I did. <laughs> no, like, you need it because, great example, the first essay I handed in in first year did not do well on. Like, did really badly on. Got it back, like, during Christmas break. Was not happy with myself. Did I cry? Maybe. Anyway. <laughs> but you want to know what the topic of that essay was? Violence in the Iliad. Oh we literally God. have a two-part series on this topic. Damn. And I did very bad on my first essay on it. So your marks do not determine your future. It's It's all okay. Everybody does badly in first year. And even beyond, like... Yeah, and I do think marks are a big part of that fear, right? Like, you know, <laughs> am I alone in this, you know? No. 
right? Like the marks are just the, this driving force of anxiety whenever you're writing any sort of paper or anything, because somehow our our world has been able to like boil down opinions about my very nature as a person into a letter or a number. <laughs> and that's the, the most daunting system, thing ever. <laughs> it's a one through four, which I think is the funniest thing. Yeah. Like a four plus. What kind of what kind of we thing had is that, that as well. It's an A. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but also What was the point? Anyways. Yeah. No, I don't know. Back to your insightful point about Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so you know, grades have their place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in general they're, you know, a little overrated, I think. Grades are overrated. I think so. I tell this to my students when I'm I'm a teaching assistant. Uh, as a grad student, I would tell my students and I was going to be marking them, I, I would say at the beginning of the semester, actually, I would say like that the, by the time we get to essay writing season, you're going to be thinking about the grade of the paper. And uh, I want you to try and, you know, try and distance yourself as much as you can from that, because the actual enjoyment of writing a paper, which I mean, might sound a little strange to some listeners, but if you like writing papers or, or like academia and sort of want to be in that research environment, the fun of it is is writing it, and you don't want to take all the fun out of it by worrying about what someone's going to think of it when it's done. Because, at least for me, what I eventually was able to learn was that they weren't judging me. Firstly, they weren't judging me as a person, but also they weren't judging me in such a negative way of like e- like every time I had a grammar mistake or every time I should have shifted sentences in a paragraph. They weren't going, "What the hell, you idiot! You're the worst!" Blah blah blah. That's that's what I thought they were doing, but they actually weren't. You know, they were. They were reading it and thinking, okay, he's a, a very good student. He has really smart ideas. I want to help him sort of go further with it and, and find ways to improve it even more. And, and that's really a lot of the times where, where professors will be coming from. So, yeah. Yeah, that leads to a great, like, first tip, which is to read the comments that you get on your essay. Mm. I know the feeling of wanting to be like, read the grade and then burn the paper. I know <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> but don't We've do been- it. You just made a Robin choke. Yeah, because it's so true. <laughs> it's so accurate. There's a visceral feeling where you're like, I don't want to see this ever again. Oh, yeah. completely. But you need it. It's actually yeah. so, so helpful, the comments, when you actually get some. Not yes. all profs will do it, but the ones that do, do definitely take the time to check it out. They're there to help you. Yeah, and they can like identify like important things that you maybe missed or just like habits that you have that aren't the greatest for writing or like affect your clarity like they're really helpful they are they just like hurt a little bit inside at first but then that's fine yeah we all gotta step back and not take it personally which is so hard because mm-hmm. like patrick was saying i you you fall, fall in love with a good essay that you write because you take mm-hmm. so much time of your life putting it together and you, you're, you're really passionate about what you wrote so when you have someone like coming around and bringing their yeah. red pen all over it you're like what do you mean that's me i know yeah i had i had a i think it was the first 15 page paper i ever wrote and it was in my third year and this was also the first paper that really heavily focused on sort of primary sources for a history paper as opposed to just secondary sources and so i was doing it was, i think it was about the new york draft riot or something from the civil war era and while I was researching it, I found all these newspapers and I was able to essentially make the first four to five pages of the paper a sort of reconstruction of, of events just from the newspapers. So like the first like four to five pages were, was just me telling the story of the draft riot, but through eyewitness accounts and, and, and 
articles written from the time period. And I was so happy with it because it was something I'd never done in history before. This is, I, I felt like I was doing like, you know, real historian work. It wasn't just an undergrad paper that I was writing. This, this feels like the things that, that historians do with primary sources and compiling it and putting it all together and fitting all the pieces just right. And I was so proud of it because I did something that I'd never done before, but the system doesn't work in such a way as you can tell your professor that, and then they can direct their feedback to that, you know? And so I think the paper got, I mean, like it got a pretty good mark, but it wasn't what I thought it was going to get, you know? And I was a little disappointed, but, you know, so I think a part of it is in addition to reading the comments is that whatever the the grade is that you get back, whatever the feedback is that you get back, if you enjoyed writing the paper and are proud of personal goals that you've achieved, you're allowed to celebrate that and give yourself your own sort of grade or whatever on your own. Like you're allowed to be like, yeah, I, I kicked ass by doing this thing that I'd never done before. And I'm really proud of myself for that. So that's okay. You know, that it, it your opinion isn't, isn't moot in this conversation, I suppose. Yeah. Okay, so like, let's talk about the actual fundamentals of like writing a paper but like let's say you're you know sitting down to write this paper the the tips don't have to be in any sort of order but like what are some things that you think are really important to know or really important to do when you're writing a paper narrow your topic yeah i think that's the first like if i can think of the first thing to do is fucking narrow your topic <laughs> i was accused by a, by a professor by two professors on different occasions that my biggest flaw was that I would I would create a book idea for my essay when I needed just something that would be like 10 pages. But they'd be like, <laughs> holy crap, <laughs> that idea can feel like a book or two. So please just chill. You narrow, know? narrow, narrow. Yeah, yeah, be narrow about it. You'll find things I... to say. Oh, yeah, I agree. Um, Narrow and then like, this is the first step. Don't be afraid to Google it. Find your subject. Look around, see what people are talking about where you want to go and then set your base like this is my theme these are my points and then start looking for evidence so don't be afraid to look around and see like what direction you might be actually going into google is your friend in this circumstance yeah like research into the the topic the whatever the question that you're trying to ask see what other people are saying about it but like make sure that you're not going into it being like i know exactly what i'm going to argue i know the points i'm going to make because you might come across, A, an article that makes all of those points, and then what is the point of writing the paper? Or B, an article that says the complete opposite. You need to just go into the first stages of research with a totally open mind. Like, have that narrowed topic, but don't have your thesis already written. No. Yeah, yeah. It's impossible. It might, it might sound a little silly to say in some ways, but try and figure out what you're just interested in knowing. You know, so if you're like in a class, let's say it's like gender in Europe or something like that from the 19th and 20th centuries or whatever. And you're like, OK, what do I want to know about gender in Europe from the 19th and 20th centuries? What, what's something that I'm really I just I, I have a question about that I'm curious to answer. And then that's a good jumping off point to sort of start narrowing your topic. Yeah. Sometimes I even um, you'll find in lecture your teacher poses one of those big questions. I took it. I was like, all right, that's my essay. Yeah. <laughs> right yeah. there. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Or you, you can combine your, I know we'll get into this a bit more later, but you can combine your subjects of interest. So often because I had my art history background in whatever other class I was doing, I'm like, okay, this subject, but through an art history lens. Like I had indigenous sure. feminism. I was like, okay, let's explore that topic, <laughs> but through Rebecca Belmore. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My, my partner, Jordan, she does that all the time in her workshop. 
you know, she'll be doing, she's, she's doing a double major in English and sexuality studies. And so any English essay she'll have to write, she'll just make, she'll just find a way to make it about gender or something. And yeah, yeah. it's a, a good go-to, you know, it's, it's a different lenses and ways to see the world are really helpful. Yeah. And it, sure. it makes your class connect for you. Like in my yeah. head, I was like, this is perfect. Everything is working as one. And then on top of that, if you're one person that are probably similar to us, where you're like, need to write something original and your prof's like, don't worry about it. This is one way to do it where it's not, there's no big pressure on it. It's still something you care about and it's your original piece and your prof's going to be really impressed. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, then just do a little bit of preliminary research as well. Mm -hmm. So once you kind of have a a general topic, again, thinking about narrowing it, thinking about what questions you want to ask ways you want to approach it with a lens and that sort of thing mm-hmm. do a little like a little bit of research before you have a general grasp of what you want to argue is totally fine normally it seems like you know you want to come up with your topic specifically and then do all the research and then write it but it often is a little more fluid than that so you'll do a bit of research to help you sort of decide what you want to say what you believe um, and, and what you really want to argue all that sort of stuff too so for yeah. sure it'll be a lot more shocking for you if you're saying like this is my argument and then you get into research and nothing is agreeing with you that doesn't work and it can work and so people will do it but as soon as you get into bigger research papers or like seminar classes that style of research just won't it won't do anything for you it'll mess up your papers it'll make them like half researched effectively because you're ignoring so much of the literature just off the bat um something i am the big proponent of is just like organizing your time and starting early and this is really hard because i know that every prof ever will tell you to start early and they'll just be like you need to just start the paper earlier and nobody doesn't but just (laughs) because they're like but look at this i've got an 85 on this paper i wrote in two hours i'm like you could have gotten like a 99 on that paper if you had taken two weeks on it at that rate I am, I have to say, so funny. That is my magic number, two weeks. Like minimum, two yes. weeks, and you can write a good paper. Yeah. I find it so funny you mentioned two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and that way you can like start researching and then think about the research that you've done and then like go back, you know? You're not just trying to compress it into 24 hours of intense research where you don't actually have any time to think about the topic. Take your time, fellas and and ladies and and everyone else. I use the term fellas <laughs> as an all-encompassing gender-neutral term, but I realize that's not true of everybody. Anyway. <laughs> At least you're trying, Katie. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else about writing essays? Um, maybe some, like, things about writing in general? Oh, yeah. I actually... So I, I've just finished the first draft of a big paper that I've been writing. It's about Woo! 50 or 60 pages or so. So that's what I'm like doing right now outside of the podcast. And so many times in the last couple of weeks as I've been touching up the first draft, was I thinking about Rob's class? Like, oh my goodness, so many writing tips. The Uneven You is almost meme worthy, I think, <laughs> for the people who took his course <laughs> because of the number of times that we had to talk about this thing. You'll have to tell me. Give yes, me a Yes, describe the Uneven You. Yeah, okay. So, well, so think about it like this. So you have like lines that that are horizontal and go on top of each other and you have you have five of them so one two three four five right so an uneven you will start at line four dip down to line three line two line one dip back up 
to line two, line three, line four, and then all the way up to line five. That's what an uneven U would look like. So in terms of how that would work for, and this works legit, this, this works for a paragraph, it works for a section, it works for a chapter, it works for a whole freaking book. It's, it's literally the idea that you start, uh, your four would be like your argument or sort of the, the general topic of what the paragraph is about, your, your usual big idea, but specific to the paper. Then your, your three would be like where you got the evidence you're going to talk about, where you got it from, sort of like talking about who's involved in the whole process and everything. And then your twos and your ones are varying degrees of detail of evidence. So twos might be a little more general. Ones would be like specific quotes, that sort of thing. But you're sort of down in the weeds of the evidence. So, so you started this paragraph or this chapter by like, here's my argument. So these people talk about it. This is what they say. Blah, 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 blah. Now you're in ones and twos and whatever. And then you eventually rise back up to a four, connecting it back to your thesis being like, okay, so this evidence shows this thing and this is what I talked about in the paragraph. But then you hit him with a five, Robin. You hit him with a fucking five. Because what happens now is at the end of the paragraph or section or or book or what have you, you hit him with something you haven't talked about yet, which is essentially why the idea of this paragraph or section matters. So instead of just being like, here's what I'm arguing, you're like, but, but in general, this is really what we're talking about here. So my favorite example of this was that in Rob's class, God bless him, he let us write whatever we wanted for one of the weeks. He let us literally write like a 500 word short little expert ex- excerpt about any subject that we were passionate about. So I wrote about Batman, naturally. And I wrote about two movies that, that, that comparing The Dark Knight with my favorite Batman movie, Mask of the Phantasm, which is an animated movie. We don't need to get into it. The point is, though, the the argument of my the argument of my piece was that Batman Mask of the Phantasm is better because it gives the sort of character arc and and the the story is about Batman as a character before it's about big philosophical ideas, right? So I think it's better because Batman in it is more of a character and less of a caricature and, and more of like a person that has a complex emotions and and feelings and all that sort of stuff and experiences. So that's my four. My five would then be that character growth and character arcs are more fundamental to storytelling than discussing big philosophical ideas. That's, That's my amazing. five. Does that make so, sense? Yeah, you, so it's like, like you, taking it one step further. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, and like, that's and that's words. like that's where it hits. That's the good shit, you know? <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So because that's that's the thing with essays. You got to write it out. Put it down because yeah. we can't just like guess what you're trying to say you have yes. to bring us there yeah yeah spell exactly. it out for so, us just like so yeah. in plain language spell it out yeah you, you know what keep an eye on our social medias maybe we'll make a uneven you graph and we'll uh post it so you guys oh can understand that's a good idea you. yeah because you guys are gonna you just about changed my own writing now again but i'm glad <laughs> yeah, to be, keep it's learning. so smart it's so smart it's so good so keep that in mind for sure when you're writing, think about like, you know, it's not just that you're writing stuff down and trying to get information across is that you're really trying to convince someone of something. And so, mm-hmm. you know, like any, any professor or TA or whatever, who's like, no, you can't like, j- like you can't be smart or clever with your writing. You just got to stick to the, f- 
like not facts stick to the basic words or whatever no that's bullshit like it's boring punch it up man make it interesting this makes me think it's so much better than the freaking hamburger you know yeah fuck the hamburger (laughs) that's literally what i wrote i i didn't write down for the hamburger but i did write down get rid of the the hamburger model yeah Yeah. Uh, it's boring what's the hamburger model Tell, tell Teacher it, in the room, everyone. please tell us. Oh, jeez. Okay, well, I don't teach English, but I can give you a general idea. So it's like we got the buns on the outside. So the first is your intro. Then you're all working up towards your meat. So you have your intro. And then you have some, like, toppings in the middle, which is your first paragraph, which is not your strongest, but it, it'll bring you there. Then you got your meat, which is your second paragraph, which is your strongest one. Then you got more toppings underneath the burger. I might be getting the order wrong, but th- I think this is it. The third one's like, it's not as great, but it's still better than the first one. And then the last bun, which is your conclusion. Yeah. So essentially a five paragraph essay, right? So what's yeah. wrong with the five paragraph essay structure? Like fundamentally. It's restrictive. Yes. Yeah. Because it makes it like I was stuck in this, especially in like first year. And you become, like, you write your essay towards this model where you're like, I need three ideas and three ideas only. And, like, they need to work in this way. Right. Just one idea, one paragraph. And, like, a paragraph should never be more than three quarters of a page. If it's more than three quarters of a page, it's more than one idea. Almost guaranteed. Unless you're writing a paper that was the length of the paper that I wrote when you have, like, 50 quotes you got to use. I mean, (laughs) I'd make full page things but no one wants to read that but i, I hear you absolutely yeah, yeah. like a, a like a 75 percent to 100 percent of a page about a page or so is yeah. usually what you want to aim for as your max especially in undergrad mm-hmm. yeah as you get into like grad school and stuff this changes once again like everything but yeah when you're an undergrad just make sure that you're one idea one paragraph that and that's it right it, it can be as short or as long as you want in my in my thesis in fourth year i wrote a paragraph that i think was three sentences and i literally emailed my supervisor being like this feels wrong. And he's like, no, <laughs> it's one idea. It works. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's possible for sure. But yeah, one idea. That's a good way to put it. One idea, one paragraph. That's, that's really it. Yeah. 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 And then t- topic sentences, I think is another sort of key thing to this, this part of the conversation where when you're writing an essay, you want your paragraph to start with a sentence so that if someone reads that one sentence and that one sentence alone, they'll know what your paragraph is about. Yes. I had a prof once tell us, and I've done this with essays, to copy over your essay and delete everything but the topic sentences of each paragraph and see if you understand the progression of the essay. And if you don't, change the topic sentences so that you can understand what what will happen in each paragraph. That's amazing. And on top of that, if you have a word count, that'll bring your word count up if you need a a a topic sentence to bring it all together. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> There's nothing sure. like the classic change of when you go from having to like reach the word count of being like, man, this needs to be 2,000 words to being like, it is only 3,500 words and I'm going to die. Yeah. Because it's only 3,500 words. It Absolutely. It's been one of my favorite milestones in my life where I went from in high school, I could hardly write a page, I would cry about it, to now where it's like only 10 pages. Are you kidding me? Like Good fucking had, luck. <laughs> oh, my God. We had um an assignment. They came into our class. It was during our master's, and they asked us to write a short article. Right. And, like, almost all of us struggled to keep that so, yeah. as condensed as 600 possible. 600 words max or something yeah. was the challenge. 
And yeah. we were given like 24 hours to do it too. It's not that like too. we it had like <laughs> marinated over this for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that's why they purposely did it too. They're like, we're only going to give them 24 hours so they can't do more than 600 yeah. words. No, no literally. No. Any other uh, writing tips? I mean, we can always talk about more writing tips as we talk about exams. Exams mm. are a different style of writing fundamentally, but like a lot of this carries over. Like don't get caught up in the five paragraph model. Make sure that like, you know, you're thinking about it. Obviously, you don't have time. You don't have two weeks on an exam to think about your essay or whatever. I guess I have like a research tip. It would be uh, don't be afraid to go to your library, like your university library and grab a bunch of books. I would always leave the library with like more books than I had on my own list. And those books would lead me to points and quotes that I would have never found on the Internet. Yes. Oh, another tip for researching is if you find a article, an article that you really like or that argues a similar theme to you, it's on the topic, go to the their bibliography and just find every single work that they cite and read it. It's the best way to make a web because that way you're actually like engaging with what they're engaging with. And also it like shortens your actual like time of being like, who's writing about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you do that with a few books, you actually find they'll they'll be talking to each other. That like the bibliographies in different books will have the same sources and stuff. That freaked me out. Actually, I've done that before. Right? Yeah. These two are just citing each other. That's the whole. And I'm like, so maybe that's not right. This is maybe not the best (laughs) source. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it can tell you that too. You're like, um, they just look like they're fighting, and maybe I'll leave them alone. Or the one I had, it wasn't that they were fighting. It was just they were both saying the same thing off of each other. (laughs) And that's like, that's sketchy. Yeah, that's fair. I'd also, I'd say about researching, my thing that I would always fall into is that my research documents would be like five pages longer than my actual essay was going to, you know what I mean? Only five? Ten page paper, it's like 15, 20 pages of notes, you know? So like always at the beginning of a research project you're like i need to write every quote down because i'm not gonna have enough and then by the end of it you're like oh shit i have tripled the amount that i need so like uh, right so i'll always be cognizant of that and if you are in a bit of a time constraint it's okay to put the book down and not get every single quote or every yeah. single thing from it because you need to move on to another one that's okay oh, yeah. yeah i have the, yeah same same tip like when you have those books don't read the whole thing Go to the the index, look at the chapter that's relevant to you and your work. That's your chapter. Don't worry about the rest. Unless you're doing a works cited. Is it works cited? No, no, no. There's one where you like actually have to make a mini biography for Oh, the annotated bibliography. Oh, annotated. annotated. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, but even I then, that's, that's like, usually if you're doing an annotated bibliography, Just normally you, right, legit, you read the introduction chapter at most know what they're arguing because annotations are only like three to five sentences right so you're literally like this book argues this it's relevant for these reasons that's why i chose it and that's, that's really true. it yeah. you know so it's like even them, it is for sure but even then yeah like it, you you can really get away with not reading the whole book of course oh my god but yeah like if you have like a six page paper that you're writing be it's it's okay to pull a couple things from the book and then move on to another one if you have a whole bunch that you want to get through that's fine you don't have to worry about it Another tip about researching, this is like a tip I live by because when I was a TA, not enough students did this. Go to your TA's office hours and literally just be like, is this good? This yeah. is what I want to argue. This is the source. Is this okay? Yeah. I had literally one student do it of 58. I was, and I, I had told them to come talk to me about it. They wouldn't. 
But the reason to do that, A, um, your TA is marking it, so they will remember that you've talked to them about it. And I'm not saying it makes favorites, but it, you know. Oh, yeah. But you remember. definitely t- take your that into visit. account. Yeah. You keep it as a participation mark. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Your hard work and knowing that you're dedicated to it, and that's important for sure. Yeah. And also, like, they're literally marking it, so they know what they're looking for better than anyone else in the whole planet. They know what they're looking for. I know you even do that with, like, any part of your paper. Whether it's yeah. deciding on your topic, doing the research, writing your thesis, writing the... Like, if you want to send them a paragraph and be like, does my grammar suck? You know, like, you can do that. That's fine. Literally. Or even when you get it back and get the feedback, you you can yes. go and talk to them. Like, use those sorts of resources, the people who are grading it and everything. Because it, it's it's really supposed to be a conversation where you're mm-hmm. able to talk to them about it and, and figure it out together. So. And I agree. Don't Also, don't forget to go see your prof. Because I had it once where I had to submit a plan for an essay to my TA and they X'd out my last point. I was like, I thought this was a good one. And I went to go see the, the prof and they're like, oh no, I want you to write about that. And here's how it'll look better. Cause like the TA wasn't seeing it at first cause I didn't write it properly. But when I spoke with the prof, I was able to flesh it out a bit more and then it made sense. So use all your resources. And like profs are so nice. Like 99% of the time profs are just like having a ball. They want to talk to you because you're writing on most often their like area of interest maybe not their topic but at least like their geographical region so they're interested in what you're interested in yeah i would say do we have anything to talk about for editing in general any tips for the editing process reading it out loud that's a common one i've noticed I, i have this really weird thing i write like i'm writing a speech sometimes because I'm apparently a very charismatic person. But, apparently. I you don't know. know. <laughs> could, could you tell? All right. <laughs> no. Nah. Um, anyway, so I'd, I'd write these things like speeches sometimes. And so when I read them out loud, I'd be like, this sounds great. But that's because it sounds like I'm giving a speech to somebody. <laughs> not because it's quality writing. So. Yeah. Yes. I think um, editing in terms of spelling the one big tip I've heard is read backwards. I don't know if anyone else has done that, but I've done it. Like if you have a sentence, yeah. So it's like you, you're going through your sentence and you're like not sure if you, maybe you, because sometimes you read through, I'm explaining this terribly, but like you read through and because you know where you're going with the sentence, you just jump over words. So if yes. you read it backwards, it forces you to look at each word and be like, oh, you know what? I didn't actually spell that right. Because sometimes your autocorrect doesn't catch everything. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend going through the whole essay like that when you get into the bigger ones, but that is a tip I've heard of before. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. an interesting tip. That is interesting. Some universities have writing centers or places to where, where professionals can help you and guide you with your writing if you're a little nervous about it. I found, and this one, you have to be cognizant of other people's schedules and kind of involve that in your own scheduling practice. But the th- because reading out loud apparently is shitty for me, I, I, I ask other people to read it. Yeah, me And all too. that sort of thing. And, yeah, because they don't know what you're talking about necessarily, or at least they don't live in your own head. And so they won't have the sort of trip up moments or moments where you're like, yeah, I get it. That makes sense. They'll actually be able to have a bit more of a critical lens. So, I guess if you can afford it, maybe invest in a like a nicer um, grammar checker program. Grammarly? Is this an ad for Grammarly? <laughs> like Grammarly this podcast Grammarly is sponsored. Great. By... I personally use something called uh, Antidote. It's a French checker, but it also checks in English. They just added that feature. And it's actually amazing. 
But yeah, it's a great checker and um, it goes through and it can even flag a sentence that just like is structured weirdly. And like your autocorrect on Word won't notice that, but these correctors will be like, hey, that's a weird sentence. You should flip a word around or maybe you're missing a verb. Oh, cool. Saved my life a lot of times. And also like writing, (laughs) we've all heard this a lot, but writing is rewriting. That's a a big sort of idiom that that we hear a lot in grad school but it's true it's it you know i was the undergrad who would write the paper and then sort of two hours on the day before it was due i'd read it and be like that sounds coherent send you know (laughs) when when editing and revising is a little a a bit more time consuming and and something that you want to take the time to actually do effectively so giving yourself enough time to read it not just read it through a couple times but also really like take a paragraph and think okay is this the best structure for the sentences? Like if I mixed around a couple of these sentences, would it sound better? And and revise it and, and rewrite it in that way. Also, don't be afraid to like completely st- like be like this paragraph. I think I get it, but I'm just going to rewrite it. Why not? And try and use that one instead. That's also a part of the editing process. And also, I think one of my favorite pieces of advice actually came from Tim Campo. Good old Professor Good old Campo. Tim. But... He told me in my second year, he said that writing an essay is like doing a puzzle in that, you know, you're always like, okay, what if I put this here? No, okay, that didn't work. What if I put it over here and then switch that one over and put this up here instead and then move it around that way and then, you know, and and, uh, try and figure out how it can all fit together. So I think that's always a fun way to look at it, too, is that you're trying to solve a puzzle. And so the first way that you do it might not actually be the best way. And it might be fun to see what happens if you take paragraph two and switch it with paragraph eight. I actually probably wouldn't recommend those in particular. I feel like paragraph two should stay where it is, but, you know, or like sentence four and sentence seven. Like maybe those two could be switched around in a paragraph or something. Who knows? So don't be afraid to experiment, you know, just experiment Mm -hmm. with that stuff. If you have time, for sure. And also, we are talking in a bit of an idealistic sense, I think, in this episode of like, you know, you have time to to do all this stuff in in undergrad and grad school, in school in general. You don't have a lot of time to to do these things. You'll be writing four to five papers. And do it for that paper. Yeah, honestly, yeah, right? You pick it for one or two and try it for that. But, you know, you're writing four or five of these at the same time. It's it's going to take a toll on you. So you have to make sure, you know, give yourself as much time as you can. But it, don't feel bad, I'm, I'm saying, if you don't have time to do all this editing or do all this other thing or whatever. You know? I am. Um, this just came to mind. I do have a, a tip for writer's block. And this is something that took me forever Ooh. to just deal with. But it's so simple. It's... um. Like, sometimes it's just hard to start a sentence or even know where you want to go with things, but just write something down. Whatever's in your head, put it on paper, get it out of your system so you can move on to the next step and revise it later. I can't count the times where back in high school or even undergrad where I'm like crying at the table, like, I don't know what to do with this essay. I don't know where to go. My dad's just like, put words down, put a foot out there, and then you can start going. Yeah, sometimes I'll write like a trash sentence. Like, a sentence where, like, it doesn't make sense, but it's, like, the thought I'm trying to get there. And it's just, like, the world's worst sentence. And then I highlight it to make sure it doesn't end up in the final paper. <laughs> but, like, you know, just, like, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I think needs to be here. And I'll come back and edit it later. Be wary of putting placeholders for sentences with XXX. That has happened before <laughs> as a TA. <laughs> you know? You know, like where X is a common placeholder, right? And you're like, oh, a couple of words. Let's put a couple X's. And you accidentally put three and then forget to delete them from the paper. 
All right. And on that note, <laughs> let's switch <laughs> to the other half of an arts degree, which is exams. Ugh. Often, as you get into like the higher levels of an undergrad, you'll do less exams, but they are very much important for... Robin is vibing. <laughs> by, by my last like two or three years, maybe, or even was. Anyway, by the end, I wasn't doing exams anymore. It was all essays, yes. and I was so yeah. happy. It's it's yes. a lot nicer that way. Yeah, I would it is a lot nicer. Fight people who would recommend an an exam. You know what? Your girl does love an exam. I love them just like for a totally selfish reason. I am like very good at memorization, and like. For me, the pure joy of, like, being good at memorization and, like, the adrenaline rush you get of being, like, I remember this one specific thing. Anyway, I do love an exam, but I also love a paper, so I'm, I'm not I'm partial to both. But we have two types of exams to talk about. We have a classic history exam, and then we have an art history exam, because in case you're new here, Patrick and I did a history degree, and Robin and I did an art history degree. <laughs> Damn. Katie, you're so smart. That's me. Uh, I just <laughs> fell into art history. Whoops. But here we are. Um, so let's start with a little bit of like a history exam. Talk about what might be on a history exam and then any tips we have for studying. Like, I don't know if we can really give tips for the actual writing of it because that's just like a personal thing about how stressed you are and like the type of writer you are, unless you have tips, but. What kind of things are on a history exam generally? Right, yeah. And I do think this part is particularly poignant for when we're recording and, and putting out this episode. Uh, at this point, I imagine some students might have already submitted their big essays for the semester, but exams are around the corner. You may have experienced some midterms. I don't, uh, most of my, my history classes didn't actually have midterms. Yeah, I think I had some like of them two did, or but three. Some of them did. Uh, so you might have already experienced a bit of exam life. Uh, university but if not final exams for the semester are definitely coming around the corner and they can be a little stressful history exams the nice thing about them though is that they are incredibly uniform like it's so bizarre i did not expect this going in but history exams you can expect generally to have two sections the first of which would be identification and state the significance of a term and the second would be an essay <laughs> so yeah. you'd you'd start if the professors were kind enough, they might give you, say, like 20 terms or something like that that might appear on the exam. They'd choose 10 of them to appear on the exam and you'd have to define five or something or maybe three, depending on how big they want your answers to be. That will definitely vary between professor. However, in general, it'll be a term that was important to the to the course content, a term that either commonly came up or like a, an event or a person that was really important to, to a certain lecture week or something. And then, yeah, and then you literally identify it. You say, you know, let's say, for example, I don't know, Martin Luther King Jr. was a civil rights activist, blah, 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 blah. That's you're identifying who Martin Luther King Jr. was. And then his significance was that he was a, a, a significant civil rights leader and did all this sort of stuff and whatever. And you talk about why it's important that we know who Martin Luther King Jr. was and what he did and why that was important and the historical significance behind that. Yeah, so and in historical yeah. significance try and connect it to the, the course generally. So like, let's say your course is on like civil rights in one specific state or like this period, make sure you're like tying it to the actual course content, not just like he was important because 
clearly. I mean, he's Martin Luther King Jr. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, right? <laughs> but yeah, absolutely, right? And you'd, you'd be able to tie it back to the themes. And that's where these sorts of things vary. I've had some professors say just two sentences, one to identify it and the other to state the significance. Some profess most of my essays, or oh my God, most of my exams <laughs> were like defined three terms and each was worth like 15 marks or something like that so they were expecting yeah. for each term to have about three or four paragraphs which would give you the room to to mention readings that you had for the course and you talk about the historians and 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 titles of the readings that you had and then you also talk about lecture material and all that sort of stuff and you sort of spin it all together to to talk about this one answer so that's ids and and they're called ids normally for a short form but identify and state the significance is, is the section and then the second section that normally comes up is the essay section. And this is, again, depending on the professor, it could be write one essay, write two essays. However, in general, again, this is just an essay. And this, so it's always interesting to me that we have to write essays and then also write essay exams because... Yeah. It feels counterintuitive to all of the advice we give about writing essays. Yeah. It's like, take your time and edit and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You do not have the time. You just write. Mm-mm. Just write. Yeah, and, these and are if the you're most cross out a word, things. just cross it out. You know, just like yeah. live your life. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. But and the, and these really are very formulaic in that, like the the questions will often be very specific, and they will it'll sort of be like a prompt. It'll it these essays, you you aren't really arguing original stuff based on the research you did. You're you're not supposed to research before going into an exam or whatever. It's literally just you know it's a conversation starter. So so if we're going back to the civil rights example, it could be like you know. Uh, compare the kinds of racism that black folks experienced in the northern and southern United States. How are they different? How are they similar? Uh, uh, was one better than the other? I don't know, something like that. You know, and so something that you can argue based on lecture material. And then you're like, okay, well, here's all the stuff I know about the north and racism there and all the stuff I know about the south and racism there. And, and these historians that we talked about in class compared the two. And so I'm going to talk about that now. And so it is is really formulaic. It's really structured. So you don't have to worry about sort of being creative in the moment. You really just have to get the ideas down. And the, and, and, and the idea is really that you can take what you learned in class and just sort of spin it in a written format. Yeah. And in those cases, most of the time there is not to be like there's an answer to the question they're posing, but like there are set ideas that the prof is like people who answer this question will probably talk about these, some of these points. And so they are like really, they're, as Patrick said, not looking for new ideas. They are just looking for you to tell them what you gained from the class and like where you can connect the class to this question. Now, the one thing that comes up, and so I'd say in about 30% of my courses, I was given essay questions, given IDs. In the rest of them, I was not. I was just told that there would be an exam. Oftentimes that it was like, how many ids they'd be like i don't know tbd and then you would just walk up (laughs) to the exam and find out so like let's talk a little bit and this is kind of hard but about how you might go about figuring out what ids are going to be and then figuring out what the big questions for essays might be patrick mentioned that like ids are often just like really important events or people or concepts they're often things that you've talked about in class more than once they are kind of intuitive for the most part. Sometimes they're super random and you're like, we talked about that once. What is that doing on here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you can like guess based on rereading your course notes, which you should definitely do. 
You should reread all your course notes. You should take notes during lecture. Just saying. Don't watch Netflix like I've seen so many people do. Makes no sense to me. High schoolers are doing that. Oh, oh boy. Oh, yeah. And then for essays, for the uh, like essay questions, one of the things I really tried to do was like look at what kind of questions the profs posed at the beginning of lecture, looking at the syllabus and figuring out oftentimes there's like questions written in like the course description of the syllabus. Those will often be essay questions like, if you're taking a Russian course, like a Russian history, often the question will be, what is Russia? Which is like, feels like a dumb question, but whatever. That is like the big question of Russian history. What is Russia? It comes up a lot. Look at like what the lectures are titled or what, you know, readings you have to do and the questions that the readings answer. Your syllabus is actually like one of your best friends when you're studying for an exam. So go back, read through it. Yeah. Like look for what the, the prof has said during lecture yeah it, it took me i think a couple of years maybe the first two years before i really started to realize how to not cheat the system but uh figure out the best way to, to i guess the best way to prepare for exams when i was in first and second year i didn't really reread the readings from the course or something like that or, or pull those in i always saw those as separate i saw readings as something you prepared for tutorial and then you for the the exam you just prepare your lecture notes or whatever and i didn't realize i was like oh shit i'll do better on these if i if i just mention the name of the historian and the yes. title of their article and 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 that sort of thing because for a long time i thought well that's just so much to to remember like in addition to literally everything they said in every lecture of this entire course now i also have to remember every single thing that every reading said for the course that's <laughs> nuts you know this is again the same patrick who writes 20 pages of notes for a 10 page paper but that's fine but that little nugget of wisdom, though, is is that what you do is don't you the, don't don't think that you have to read and know every single detail of every single reading. Essentially, you just need to remember that the the historian who wrote the article, the name of the article, and the thesis. If you remember what the author wrote about, then the rest of the paper can sort of fall into place when you're writing it in an exam. So, and again, because the other thing that uh, Katie just said that that made me realize the questions that professors choose for the essay section is these are always in a historical context, the historiographical questions that the, the course would be grappling with. So these are debates that historians argue about all the time are normally the questions that you're going to try and answer on the exam. And those debates happen in readings, which is why it's important to mention the readings, but they're helpful that way. Because now if you have a question about what is Russia and you know that in week three, this article argued that Russia is X, you then have one of your paragraphs where you talk about that reading and then also talk about stuff from your lecture notes from that, from that week where the reading was assigned and you sort of paired the two together. So trying to memorize readings along with lecture material isn't actually as daunting as it sounds, just because all you really need to know is just the, the name of the uh, historian, the name of the article, and uh, what they're arguing, the general thesis, that sort of thing. And if you are either given the essay questions in advance or you like have ideas of what the essay questions might be, you can actually then go through and be like, okay, when I'm answering this question, like X author would be really good to reference and then just make like a little list so that you know generally who you're going to talk about. And then you can kind of like try and visualize that list when you're in the exam. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, and then I'd say the sort of last thing I'm thinking about is during the actual exam itself, 
you'll want to read the whole exam before you start writing. It's a common thing that professors will actually mention at the beginning is you want to look at all the IDs, start figuring out which ones you'd want to do, but then also look at the essay questions, start figuring out which ones of those you want to do. Because, and I'm not sure if this is universal, but in my experience, professors were normally of the attitude that you could not re-reference or recite material in the exam. Oh, so no, that, we did not have that. That's interesting. Okay, cool. So, yeah, so for me, it would be, you know, if I referenced X author for an identification and talked about them, I couldn't just, like, copy and paste what I said in the essay. Like, I'd have to, I'd have to talk about something else. And so in, in case that is something that your professors need you to do it's really helpful to read the whole exam because then you can start thinking okay well i know that i've read about this thing this week and this thing this week and i know i want to talk both of those in the essay so i can no longer do these ids so i have to choose other ids and so just sort of honestly outline what you're going to answer and how you're going to answer it before you start writing and that'll make writing the exam feel a lot less stressful because you can just refer to the really quick outline that you got so like on the back of the exam paper you literally just write okay id one we're going to talk about this name this name this name etc. And then uh, essays, we're going to talk about this and this and this and this. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> you just sort of do it and, uh, and, and everything turns out okay. So I think reading through it and, and thinking about that sort of context of the material is really helpful. Now that segues us really nicely into talking about art exams. Now, I don't know how similar are art exams, Robin and I, we did like, different schools, but for me, our exams were all time managed for us. So we were not given the option of choosing when we wrote about what. We were projected a piece of art. And then during that 10 minutes, you wrote about that piece of art. Oh, my God. And then the projection changed and you had to write about a new piece of art. What the fuck? So you didn't know what was coming next. Yeah. You, and you just had to do what you were doing. But was that like that for you at all? Yeah. Like we had to, it's usually split into two parts. So it's identification of a piece. Like, I believe mm -hmm. she projected it. I'm thinking of one specific professor. She either projected it or had it on, like, the printout. Mm, anyway, yes. yeah. So you identify it, its significance to the course. And mm -hmm. then in the second section, uh, it'd be like an overarching question that we explored in the class mm -hmm. that we would uh, explore through one specific piece. Okay, yeah. And so were you, like, given the piece that you had to explore or were you, like, just told I think to you do? Could, I think you'd be – it's between given the piece or there would be options. Okay. Like, explore this question, either choose Vermeer or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And then, yeah, honestly, those didn't last long, though. I believe the last time I had an art exam was second year, and then from there on out it was all essays. I think I did third year – art exams i didn't do any fourth year art exams didn't do any fourth year history exams either yeah we we were like really on this like identify like a lot of my exams were just pure identification it was like two hours 10 pieces or like and then we got to the fun parts where they'd be like we haven't shown you this piece of art but based on what you know about this time period, guess oh, shoot. who this is and what this is. And what be the fuck? Like, she, didn't, she did not do that to us. That's Can bad. You, you went to art history boot camp. What the shit? It was, I mean, yeah, it was yeah. rough. I think yeah. what's especially funny is that you, like, art history in pop culture is generally referenced as, like, the degree that you get when, like, 
I don't know, like you don't need a degree in anything or it's it's, it's like a silly degree. degree. It is like you're going to be a trophy wife. But I also read... like sort of passive and sort of, a whole I don't know, on that, yeah. you know, you know, but that's a, that's terrifying. That is, <laughs> Actually, that is, yeah. <laughs> it's honestly easier than you think. If you're it a is. very visual person, sure. Like the way I studied is like I created my own PowerPoint slides or I just used the one that the prof used and hid the answers and then you just like make your own quiz for yourself exactly yeah so tip number one for art history as compared to history because there's a lot of crossover about like writing the essays and stuff but is to like become very visual and to like really when you're like talking about the piece relearning it have it up on your computer screen so that you can identify it on site because that's like the big part of it is being able to identify it on site And, like, that's what's hard, too, because, like, if you get into, so your Renaissance section of, I believe it's Art History 2, or it could be Art History 1, because, like, we started from the beginning of time. Anyways, (laughs) a lot of that's sort of we. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's so dumb. We start from, like, oh, we found this painting on a wall all the way to, like, modern, and they try and cover that in two classes. Like, it's impossible. We try try. and cover it in one. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm crying for you. That must have been so stressful. It was just a lot of skipping. Oh, I bet. When I was trying, well, say, okay, that is another story that we might get to one day where it's like, we try and skip through art history, and what you end up doing is just looking at white guys. Oh yeah, because those That's are just history those in are general the ones too. Who are recognized, yeah, those yeah. are the ones who are recognized as the pioneers of the new art age yeah. that you're gonna go into, and it's like someone else was doing that, but okay. But anyway, that's a different story. But what I was trying to get at is like. In, let's say, the Renaissance, you'll have multiple pieces that look like they're from the same person, but they're not. So you need to use those visual skills to pick up on certain aspects of what makes this piece particularly belong to this person or particularly belong to this art style. So you can like immediately see the painting and be like, okay, wait, that's not Renaissance. That's actually, I think it's mannerism or it's between Baroque. In Renaissance, there's a period where they were stre- stretching out everyone's necks, but they almost, if you weren't paying attention to that, you'd think, oh, it's Renaissance. So there's these little hints that you'll need to pick up on. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, stretched out neck? Oh, that's not Renaissance. You're something else. I have a question for another day, which is just, why does that even matter? What is it? What's the difference between Renaissance? Like, who, who can? Anyway, I'm sorry. That's we, we don't mean, need. To, that's, that's like a fundamental question to the discipline, I mean, though. I mean, oh. that's the fun part of art history. It's how connected it is to society. Okay. Like, enough. why yeah. were these changes there? Why were they even painting that? Well, there's a reason. Like, that was my favorite part. It was like, there's a reason for that. They're actually. We'll get commenting. into that another day. I but think yes. that'll be a good episode for another time. Oh yeah, definitely. So pick up on those hints and yeah. quiz yourself a lot visually. Yes. And another thing is, if you need to know dates, so like oftentimes part of the ID is like you need to know the artist, the date, the material, um, the location where it was made or found, like whatever. Um, Quizlet, the world's greatest website, it allows you to make like flashcards, but the flashcard part of it is moot. The part that matters is matching. It will do this thing where it shows you every like ants so it'll have all the names and all the dates or whatever on the screen and you have to connect the ones that match Ooh. 
I don't know how to explain this to you. I played Quizlet. My, my friends in the science would be like, all you do to study is play Quizlet games. How dare you? And I'd be like, <laughs> now I'm acing them. <laughs> See, that's the fun part about art history. Yes, you get to. And actually, I think you can insert pictures now into Quizlet. So you could actually have like the picture and then you have to drag it to the correct name. You can also make it do a quiz on you where you have to type out the answers and they will be like, you spelled that wrong, incorrect, so. I mean, some profs will do that to you, so. Oh, yeah. Anyway, this was an advertisement for Quizlet. I'm kidding, but. <laughs> I mean, I'm buying it. sponsor of this episode. <laughs> they do have like a pro version. I don't really know what it is, but it's a free website. Yeah, Quizlet. Um, I think one big thing that even is a crossover with history is like anything that your prof is taking good amount of time to talk about really emphasize or he's on that slide longer than the other ones that's fair game for an exam it's your prof's hint like hey yeah. i i took extra time to do this odds are i'm gonna gonna bring that around or when he is making or he or she's making the exam later on they're gonna be like oh you know i talked about this for a long time that's fair i can use that for an exam yeah yeah like the, the prof well, A, they've either already written the exam and it's been written for 18 years or they haven't written it yet. Those are, those are the only two options, by the way, in undergrad. But yeah, like the prof knows what is important and sometimes they'll talk about a piece for 30 seconds. And like if that comes up on the exam, sue. That's, I'm <laughs> kidding. That's not the legal ramifications. No, do it. But... <laughs> riot right there <laughs> start a riot immediately be like we did not talk about this legally this is a joke <laughs> for legal reasons write that on yeah but you know what like usually the prof like and they're gonna they're gonna ask about the quote-unquote important pieces right like they're gonna ask about a michelangelo piece if you're talking about the renaissance or they're gonna ask like about a uccello piece and they're gonna be like you're gonna be like who is this man his horses look weird. It's true. They do look weird. Anyway, that's just a personal gripe I have with Uccello and his perspective. It's like the hill is at like a 90 degree angle. You're like, that can't be right. And you're like, Renaissance is about perspective. What is this guy doing here? Yeah, this man said, no, it's not. It's about my horses. Oh my God. Anyway, look up a Uccello piece. <laughs> There's some fun to you'll in see the it. world. You'll, you'll be like, oh yeah, that. Anyone. You don't need to be an artist to know that his perspective is weird. Anyway, um, talking out loud is also key, as I, I think we talked about for essay writing. But in general, when if you can talk out loud, either with a person, it's really helpful to talk out loud with a person. While you're but studying. But if you can't... <laughs> don't do Just talking. <laughs> just hear the exam be like, hey, what's the answer to question three? Hey, Patrick, remember when we mimed this out earlier? <laughs> Look at me. Look at directly at me in my yeah. paper. <laughs> yes. While you're studying, having someone like quiz you, A, is helpful for you, but then like also helpful for them. Because if you mess something up, like they have to be like, no, that's not right. And so it becomes like a little, little game. Yeah. Yeah. People often say that teaching is the best way to, to study because that yeah. way you're actually sort of, you're not just memorizing it, but you're internalizing it and, and finding meaning in what you're learning. And Actually, I took my first art history course with my best friend who's a science, who's like, she's a science. She's doing her master's right now in science. So she was like, this was just like a joke. She loves art. So she took this. And 
I swear I did so well on that exam because I literally sat down and like taught her everything as we were in the exam period. And it was like the greatest. She was like, I'm so sorry you have to do this. I was like, girly, this is my studying. I'm enjoying this because I'm having to like sit here and pretend to be the prof and like engage with you. So yeah. Well, because yeah, in those teachings, you're making the exact justifications you'll need to make in the exam to prove your points. Yeah. Anything else on anything? Exam, essay? Take it take it as slow as you can. Be kind to yourself as mo- as best as possible. There there will be times, whether this year, in past years, or, or in future years, where like you'll you'll have so many exams. I think there was there was I only had this once, but one semester in April, I think I had five exams over about three and a half weeks or so, or two two to three weeks or something like that. And th- like them being spread apart was almost worse in some ways because it was just literally like a month where I knew I just didn't have a day off and that it was incredibly hard. But one of the exams was for a fun pirates course, a history of pirates course. And so I treated myself to a Pirates of the Caribbean marathons in the evenings if I studied all day and Aww. all that sort of stuff. So, you know, like try and find ways to treat yourself and, and divvy it up into as many small steps as you need to to get through it all. And rest your brain. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite thing that I never appreciated when I was a child is naps. Power naps <laughs> in university. I, fucking hate naps, I do love a nap. <laughs> a nap before a 7 p.m. exam? Essential. Mm. <laughs> Legit. 20 minutes and you'll feel like a brand new human being. Resets yeah. everything. If you're like sitting there studying and studying and you're like nothing's sticking anymore, that means your brain's telling you, hey, I need a reset. Shut the computer off and on, you know? Also, something my friends and I lived by in undergrad. So one of my friends took a psychology course in first year and was told to never study the hour before an exam began. And my friends and I were like hardcore about this. Oh, yeah. I don't even I wouldn't even study if I had a 9 a.m. I wouldn't study that whole morning. I would just be like lounging around, eating my breakfast, doing what I want. But like, don't be that person sitting in front of the exam memorizing things because you're just like overloading your brain. Before you have two hours of overloading your brain. Yeah, you need to prep it. You need to make sure that literally your muscle, it's not a muscle, your organ, that's what it is. Your organ is is working to its full potential. Absolutely. Like athletes who don't play the the afternoon before a game. Yeah, students are just athletes of the mind. Oh my God. If you, yeah, that is such a good point. (laughs) I find some parents don't get that. Like, you could come home after an exam or after all this university work and you're just drained. It's normal. It is so real. You are working. I'm going to call it a muscle. It's a freaking muscle what you're doing with that brain of yours. (laughs) And it is exhausting. So, yeah, you're an, an athlete of the mind. I love that. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys are going to do great this exam season. We believe in you. You can take any of our tips or none of our tips, but regardless, you'll get through it. And then you know what? It's the end. That's the beautiful thing about exams. There's a there's a moment where you just have to hand it in and then no more. And you can go have your ice cream or your equivalent of whatever you love most in this world. Oh, yes. Oh, so many treats. (laughs) You got this, guys. We believe in you. All right. Well, thank you for listening. If you made it here, um, if you made it here and you're wondering what my favorite new song on the Red re- release is, it's nothing new, like all burnt out 20 somethings. Anyway, I just thought some people might care. Um, <laughs> see you on the flippity flop. Oh!
Digital Dust is recorded on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Lenapawak, and Attawandaran peoples, on lands connected with the London Township and Somber Treaties of 1796 and the Dish with One Spoon Covenant Wampa. This land continues to be home to First Nations peoples, Métis people, and Inuit people, whom we recognize as the contemporary stewards of the land and waters we are on today. Digital Dust is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Edwards, Katie Gaskin, Patrick Kingen, and Robin Marshall. Sound design by Elizabeth Edwards. Audio transcription by Katie Gaskin. Our theme music is by Mattias Miller. <laughs>